All right, welcome to the Round Barn. I am Ashley, and who are you sitting across from me? Uh, Jim, I think. Jim Lowe. All right. But not Bond. It's different. It's different. That's James. James Bond. Yeah, yeah, okay. You don't have your martini, right? Isn't that what he drinks? Yeah. Nah, not a martini guy. Yeah. What do you like to drink? Um, we don't need to discuss that. Almond milk lattes. No. I almost got you one this morning while I was at the coffee shop listening to the farmers talk. Which is interesting. What'd you learn of the farmer talk today, Ashley? Well, they talked about a bushel, which I have no idea what a bushel is. So maybe you know. Have you ever seen a bushel basket? Uh, no. I oh mean, I God. could come up with an idea if it looks like an Easter basket. You've grown up underneath a rock. <laughs> this is true. So today we're gonna talk about bushels. Well, maybe we'll get there, but we're gonna talk about economics and maybe what's going on in the world, how that's impacting agriculture prices. And food prices, right? Theoretically, or clearly it's probably going to impact food prices. And what these farmers were talking about when I was eavesdropping, I wonder if they listen to this podcast. They're farmers in Illinois. They're probably going to be like, that's that girl that was listening to us talk when we were trying to they order won't our now. coffee. You've ruined, you've ruined our entire market right here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Jim Lowe. And I'm Dr. Ashley Mytek. And welcome to The Round Bar. So they were talking about the price of wheat. Um, they were maybe a little bit grumpy when they were talking about it. No, they should be thrilled. They should be happy. Because, oh, yes. Oh, because they're the farmers and the price is going up. Yes. So you sh- you should be grumpy because your bread might be more expensive. Okay. So let's talk. break this down for me. Why is the price of wheat going up right now? So wheat in a bushel, Ash, is a volume. Okay. Because we don't tend to put things in baskets and measure them in volume. A lot of ag is like really old and a lot of it is um, very British. British? Yeah, very imperial system. So Because they were the first farmers? No, because we're, you know, like British exiles. Like we kicked them out a while ago. But, right, so our systems were set up with that. So bushel baskets were literally a bushel as a measure of volume. But today, right, we think about bushel as really being weight. So a bushel of wheat weighs 60 pounds. So um, in corn, you know, always 56 and blah, blah, blah. So we know kind of how much weight. So it's a measure of volume, but it's a price. So when we think about this, we think about ag markets today, right? This is a global thing. We trade commodities globally today. We produce corn and soybeans here in central Illinois, and those get shipped all over the world, right? We use some of them in the U.S., but we ship them all over the world. And so um, we tend not to think about that very much in the U.S., but uh, I guess it'd be South Southern Europe, uh, Southeast Europe, um, is really a huge breadbasket area that really rivals the Midwest in terms of productivity. And so that overlaps part of Russia, uh, Ukraine, and then down into Romania, so around the Black Sea. And if we look, right, there's Black Sea markets, and we talk about that, and you can trade Black Sea sh- corn in Chicago. So, I mean, those prices are very transparent in the world. And that part of the world makes a lot of wheat, I mean, like a lot of wheat. And I think Ukraine is the sixth or seventh largest producer of wheat in the world and the fourth largest exporter or something. Uh, don't quote me on that. I've read too much here recently. But you get the kind of they're, – they're really important in the world markets. And so with the um, war going on there, right, the Russians have invaded the southern ports uh, on the Black Sea of, of uh, Ukraine. Um, and those are huge grain export terminals. 
And so uh, the world is going to be short of wheat, uh, at least here in the short term. And most of what they grow there, now they grow some corn today in that bread basket. They're a little bit uh, short on day length and heat units, so it's a little tougher to grow corn. But uh, historically, they've grown wheat and barley and lots and lots of wheat. Do we grow wheat in the United States? We grow lots of wheat in the United States. Where? Because I never feel like I see wheat fields in central Illinois. I see no, corn we do not grow it in central Illinois. So we grow a lot in southern Illinois. So wheat uh, in the U.S. And, and wheat in the U.S. has grown uh, in the plains, the high plains. So Kansas uh, up through uh, the Dakotas uh, into Montana uh, and then up in the prairie provinces uh, of uh, Canada. And then quite a bit of wheat is grown in Oklahoma, uh, Illinois, um, uh, some into Missouri. Uh, and that, we grow different kinds of wheat depending on where you're at in the U.S. So southern wheat uh, is all winter wheat. Uh, so we'd seed that in the fall. Uh, it comes up, uh, lives over the winter and harvested in July. In uh, the northern areas, so North Dakota and the, and the Prairie Provinces would raise a lot of spring wheat. So they plant the wheat in the spring. Those are different varieties, uh, different uh, qualities. And I don't know much about wheat. I mean, but you know, we think about hard red winter wheat here in Illinois. That's so all kind of a red, reddish uh, grain that's uh, really hard on the outside. And then there's soft uh, spring wheat. So different kinds of wheat. And they grow different kinds of wheat around the globe, right? I mean, we think about wheat, but that's a, a multitude of uh, different kinds we raise of that. And so um, most of the wheat in um, Europe would be winter wheat. So it's planted and seeded in the fall and harvested uh, then early the next year. So there's a lot of wheat in the ground right now in Ukraine uh, and in Russia uh, that uh, will be harvested this summer to be exported. And so you look at places uh, like the Middle East, which that would be their primary source of wheat. Um, uh, they're going to be short of that. Um, U.S. exports some wheat. We're not a huge player in the wheat export market uh, because we can raise corn and corn produces a lot more uh, bushels, a lot more weight per acre, uh, more calories per acre. And so uh, we tend to raise that here in the upper Midwest. The other problem is wheat does better when it's dry. Um, wheat doesn't like to be wet in the spring. And so spring wheat in this part of the world, we get too much rain. We get a lot of mold and so kind of poor quality crops. So you see less wheat farming here. So can we take one step back and talk about, um, in my brain as a non-farmer, I think of farmers growing corn and soybeans and wheat. I'm sure they grow more than that. But in, in my head, that is the wheat and the corn are kind of the carbs of the world. Is that fair to say? That's Those are the two primary sources of carbohydrate. And rice. The third one is and rice. rice. Yep. Okay. And, and, and we raise some rice in the U.S., but uh, not a lot. In the, uh, actually, in the, Missouri, in the Mississippi Delta, but up in Missouri, we raise quite a bit of rice. Okay. So those three, if you will, are the carbs of the world. And then what dictates... So I'm, I, I get that your landscape, your climate dictates what you're going to grow. Um, but then how does the world decide where all that stuff goes? Or why doesn't everybody just grow wheat? Why doesn't everybody just grow corn? There's probably some magic there of where all this is going. Uh, it's Adam Smith and the Invisible Hand. We're back to free markets. <laughs> yes. So um, is we right? So it is. It's truly. It's a commodity market. So that means that uh, they're all interchangeable. And so when we think about that, we do think about carbs that way, Ash. And so we think about 
uh, wheat being traded for corn and we can use that for feedstock for livestock. Um, we can use human uh, consumption of wheat and corn, uh, certainly human consumption of rice. And you go into some areas of Asia, we're feeding rice to livestock as well. And so those are uh, exchangeable carbohydrate sources, energy sources is how we think about them. So they are raised based upon what the perceived market demand is and really what's the climate, right? What can we raise effectively? And so in this part of the world, we think about switching out between corn and soybeans, soybeans being a protein source. Um, in uh, spaces like Ukraine or Romania, uh, they're going to think about switching between sunflowers and, and uh, wheat because they can raise sunflowers there and they use sunflowers for protein and, and, and oil. So those are the decisions. And then where it gets distributed, uh, there's a very active world market for these things, and that's why you're seeing the huge price spike. Um, if we take uh, a huge amount of wheat off the global market, not that it hasn't been produced, but it can't be exported, so it's not in the global trade. Um, that means that people like uh, Egypt, which is a large importer of wheat, they raise very little, they import a tremendous amount, um, is scrambling. And so you saw they were in the market last week trying to buy wheat because they think they can't get it from Ukraine, which is our primary source. And so they're saying, ah, can we come to the U.S. and buy it? We need wheat to feed our people. We need wheat stocks uh, to make bread. Um, we don't have them. We got to go buy them somewhere else. So it's supply and demand. So it's like used cars in the U.S. right now, really super expensive because we don't have enough because we can't make enough new cars. We've made the wheat, but we can't get the wheat on the market. I see. Now, is is it wrong of me to think that a lot of the corn goes into food animal, feeding food animals, and a lot of the wheat doesn't? It goes more towards people? It depends on where you're at in the world. So, um, so in Europe, there's a tremendous amount of wheat and barley, small grains that we think about it. They get used to feed livestock because they can raise wheat and barley there better than they can raise corn. Um, in the U.S., there's a lot of corn used for human consumption. And in this area, there's a lot of corn produced for uh, potato chips, actually. Uh, so white corn is a different variety, but a lot of white corn is produced, and that goes into potato chips. Um, and we can use yellow corn for human consumption. There's white corn and yellow corn? Oh, a lot of different kinds of corn, yeah. Mm -hmm. High wax corn, low wax corn. What's the corn I buy at the grocery store that I can put on the grill? Oh, uh, that's, that's sweet corn. Not yellow corn. No, yellow, not number two yellow corn. But it corn. is yellow. It is yellow. But you can also buy white sweet corn. And you can buy uh, white and yellow sweet corn. So, I mean, you got all kinds of choices on the wheat, sweet corn. But, yeah, so we tend to think about the biggest use of uh, or big use of corn today in the U.S., right, is for energy. So we make ethanol out of that. And um, then the byproduct, the distillers grains that come out of that uh, go back to livestock feed. So lots and lots of uses for these. And. That's really why that commodity market is fun because we can take that product and it can be used in lots of directions. And so it'll be interesting to watch. Um, ethanol production is somewhat dictated by gas price, by oil price. And so oil prices run up. So historically, when oil price runs up, that's good for ethanol consumption, which is good for the corn market. Um, but because wheat markets have run up so much because of the disruption in Europe, we now get a lot of pressure on corn and all the commodity complexes come up significantly. So it's been a rough uh, few weeks for livestock producers. Um, market uh, input cost, grain price, and soybean meal price has gone through the roof. Um, wheat prices at the highest it's been in 20 years or something, 15 years or something. It's just, uh, we have set all-time highs. Um, and then um, 
right? Uh, meat prices are down. So these things are not, uh, world events are not good for meat consumption. So the, the farmers growing um, corn and, well, wheat in particular, because we're talking about that, they're happy because the price is going up. But the folks that are raising pigs and cows are not happy because it's going to cost them a lot more to raise those critters. But then you said, I would think that that would, that would drive the price of meat up right? Because they're going to have to start charging more for the meat they make. You're giving me a look. Like, no, I'm no. giving you a look. So, <laughs> so here's the giant disconnect. The price, the farm gate price of things. What's, we, we talked about this in the past, but that's well, just- You're supposed to remember, Ashley. No, I, know, I know, I know. But it's been a long time since I was in your class. Okay. So farm gate is the price the farmer gets paid. Right. So okay. corn, if corn today is $7.50 a bushel, that's the farm gate price. So wheat is uh, $13.90 or something today as we're recording this. Uh, and we've had these huge run-ups. It was $6 not very long ago. So um, that's the price the farmer receives. There is a huge disconnect between the price that the farmer receives and the price that we pay in the grocery store. So there are two good examples in, in – I'm going to guess that bread price is going to go up. Because the cost of wheat is going up. Well, how much wheat do you think is in a – how many dollars of wheat or do you think – if you buy a loaf of bread for a dollar, how many – how much of that dollar is actually the wheat cost? I guess 10 cents. You you guessed it wrong by 10 times. So it's all wheat costs. No, it's about a penny. Oh, and the rest is production and distribution. And all yeah. That so the okay. cost of the wheat itself is actually very, very low. Okay. So if wheat price doubled, it might be two or three cents in a cost of loaf of bread. So, right, theoretically, our loaf, our dollar loaf of bread, our mythical dollar loaf of bread should go to a dollar two or a dollar three. Okay. I bet it goes up more than that. Why? Um, because the market, they, with inflation, the retailer can price in that good. So it's always right. So why they price it like that? Because that's what they can get. And so the the numbers I know the best off the top of my head are, are pig carcass numbers. And so the retail value of a pig carcass today is $450 or something. Uh, it's more than that. I got the wrong number. It doesn't make any difference. The point is, is that retail price has gone up very steadily at about $6 or 2% a year. So it's um, for the last 10 years, and the farm gate price has declined very steadily, about 1% a year. So we've got this discordance between live price and or the farm price, the pig price, and the value of the carcass. And right, we've had a lot of discussions. We've seen it in the news. Well, the beef packers are making a killing, blah, blah, blah. Well, the same thing is about the pig guys, right? Well, the pig packers are making a killing. Well, the data actually says that the wholesale price has been very static. So the wholesalers or the or the packers are making a bit more money because they're paying slightly less to the farmer. But the retail side, the distribution, the further processing bit of the business is making nice steady increases. Now they're not killing it because it's up basically at the rate of inflation. But it's this discordance, right, that consumer goods, which is what food is, and it's turned into a consumer good – um, there's cost and marketing, and we think about how we sell that, and the input cost is only one small part of that pricing model. So it'll be interesting to watch, right, what 
yes, there's commodity inflation, and commodity inflation on the food side is going to be significant. But how much of that is going to be pushed through to the consumer? Um, and what's the expansion of that inflation that occurs? And there's, you know, years ago, we knew that the, the average consumer was willing to pay $2.79 for two pieces of pork. Not $2.79 a pound. They were willing to spend $2.79 for two pork chops. So whether those pork chops weighed four ounces or eight ounces each, they were going to pay $2.79. Because when they came to the store, right, that's how the shopper perceived that. Um, some of that data was old enough, they called it a housewife, which is just <laughs> kind of an antiquated nice term today, right? But <laughs> That trend has continued to hold, and we know that, and the retailers understand that for each one of these bits of product. And so they understand, okay, ideally we'd have two ribeyes and we'd like to sell that for $20 because somebody's willing to spend $10 a steak. They don't care what it costs per pound. And so when the consumer behaves and I'm buying a meal and the producer is selling things in terms of weight, you get a discordance there in the in the – Retail business understands, and they're just doing their job. They're doing what the market should let them do is to say, how do I meet customer demand, and how do I do that at a price point that they're willing to pay to continue to drive sales? It's why they're merchants. Do you think that – what do you predict for the future with what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, what prices are currently doing with wheat and commodities – do you think we're just going to see the price of wheat continue to grow go up? Do you, what other things do you think are going to change significantly over the next three to six months? Well, if I knew that, I'd be really wealthy because I'd trade the market. But um, do you do you do you no. trade commodities? No, that's uh, I that's a quick route to broke if you don't know what you're doing. So there are experts who know what they're doing, but that's certainly not in my uh, not in my wheelhouse. But um, you know, the interesting thing in markets today is is that prices are set on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange by and large. And so those, those are financial instruments. And so there's huge amounts of fund money chasing those dollars. And that's what keeps the market liquid. So that's not a bad thing. That's how liquidity, they're speculators who are going to keep the market liquid. And so we just got huge amounts of money piling into those markets because they're going up. And so I think if you just kind of look at history if that's the best guide they'll go down as hard as they went up at some point now predicting when that's going to happen is impossible but i think that's what we're going to see and then so it'll come back there's probably nothing to justify the price increases that we've seen i mean they're not taking that much supply off the market yada 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 things will re-equilibrate so there are short-term opportunities with these high prices for everybody but i think long term right we've had really quite high grain prices for a long time now um, you've seen that as an increase in cattle and hog prices uh, that have come up, milk prices come up. Um, and part of that is, is that grain price goes up. We backed off supply. We've had some drought issues on the beef side. That whole complex fits together, right? Less beef means, ah, well, there'll be higher prices because there's, and that drags pork and chicken along with it. But I don't think we can look back at, at ag in the commodity industries and ever say that these extremely high prices have been good for the long term, for good for anybody. They create a tremendous amount of inflation. We've got record high. If you think used car prices are high, you should see used equipment prices today. 
Farm equipment. Yeah, farm mm-hmm. equipment is just astronomical. There's a lot of equipment that's 20 or 15 years old that's being sold for more than it was new. It's been used for 15 or 20 years, and that's not over a tractor. But, I mean, 15 or 20-year-old tractors are getting sold for what they were worth new. Farmland is just absolutely astronomically high on price. Everybody's flush with cash. And so we got a, a lot of dollars chasing not very many goods right now in the, in the ag side. And so that stuff, that kind of inflation tends to really create some unfortunate situations for everybody. And so the chatter you hear is let's hope this is not like the 80s when we had a, a similar situation, high interest, high uh, land prices, high everybody bid up, high equipment prices, and then commodity prices crashed and everybody went broke. So um, – I think farmers are are better prepared today. I think the industry is much more mature. I think there's less speculation, but um, farmland prices are so high today. Farm equipment prices are so high today that um, none of that's probably sustainable from an operation standpoint. If we just think about its commodity market, I mean, we Brazil will grow. I mean, this is a global market today. The Ukrainian wheat, Russian wheat, will someday come back on the market. Might be a couple of years, but that's a lot of rice. We build up supply on this side to fill those demands. Um, that'll get backfilled. Um, we'll backfill it, but right then there's – we didn't ruin that farm ground. It'll produce wheat again someday. So I think those are the those are the challenges. And I've always thought when I talk to you about farming and whether it's growing pigs or things like that, that there is such a volatile market – as we wrap things up, is there some type of buffer that is protects, maybe buffer is not the right word, but you know what I'm trying to say, where not these individual farmers aren't taking on these profound risks with these dramatic changes in market prices? Ag by its nature is risky. And everybody who's in it accepts that. They understand it. They accept it. um, They embrace it. So the challenge becomes as capital intensive as ag has gotten today. Um, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars for a tractor is not unprecedented. Um, spending ten million building a hog barn is routine. Um, so these capital investments are just massive uh, today, and so we've done a lot to try to take some of that volatility out. Most of that's contractual. Um, certainly, people use the mercantile exchange to try to protect. Uh, prices and risk um, through hedging. Uh, But in a commodity business, whether it's coal or oil or ag, you're never going to get away from risk. And so um, we certainly had a lot uh, more professional approach to debt uh, and risk management over the last 20 years. I think the world, or it's been 40 years now since the early 80s, right? Um, we've understood how to manage that better, I think, as an industry. So let's hope it doesn't turn into the mess but uh, we had in the 80s. But um, it's uh, it's always a wild ride. All right. Well, we're going to end on that note. Um, thank you all for listening to The Round Barn. And thank you, Jim, for teaching us about a little bit about a lot of different things, economics and the world and food. And every And every time we think – the world can't get more crazy. We thought, okay, if we had a coronavirus, a pandemic, how bad? Oh, well, it's kind of a hold my beer deal. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. We'll have to see what happens tomorrow. So um, thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye.
Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'd love to hear from you too. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at the round barn one. We may even share your comments on our next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. One last thing, we also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.